Uh, this, throughout the holiday season, starting last week, we began talking about rest. Uh, such an important part of what God has created for us to be able to experience. Actually, it's part of a bigger picture, um, bigger picture of discipleship. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Uh, in the church, uh, and I speak broadly in terms of the church, not just our church, but in the church, uh, especially in uh, our experience of North American Christianity, we've struggled to work towards discipleship. We've been pretty effective at having large gatherings and helping people to understand the gospel to make decisions. So getting people to say, yes, okay, I want to become a Christian and make a decision for Jesus. We haven't been as effective. And I, I put myself right in the middle of this since I'm a pastor and this is part of what God has called me to do. We haven't been as effective in helping people move along in their walk with Jesus. So oftentimes what we experience is we might meet somebody who they'll say, yes, I'm a Christian. I made a decision when I was, you know, 15 years old and I was in a youth group. And then we would ask the follow-up question, say, well, how has that affected your life? And oftentimes they might say, well, not that much. I mean, I go to church occasionally on special holidays or when I'm with my family. And, and, and so what often gets described is a activities around a Christian life, but not so much people are able to describe how their walk with Jesus Christ has fundamentally changed what's happening inside of them and how that affects their life outside of them. And, and oftentimes we'll find people who get stuck in an area. And so while they've grown a little bit, then they're stuck in their walk with Jesus. And so that can happen for any number of reasons. But but it's just kind of a reality that within our culture, we have a number of folks who have said yes to Jesus, which is wonderful. <laughs> Praise God that people are making decisions to follow Jesus and want to be disciple and want to know him and want to be discipled. But the challenge is for all of us is that Jesus's words or instructions to his followers were now go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And so then the words that he's with us, he's going to join us in that, in that journey. And so the encouragement is to move, help us to move from making decisions to making disciples or followers of Jesus. And that's really what that, a good kind of um, different word to put in there instead of disciple, if you want to use the word follower. But it's follower in the broadest context. It's follower in terms of observing his life and doing what he did and saying the things that he said. Living life the way that Jesus lived it. And so that's really what a disciple is. So when we look at other Christians, we should really see highlights in their life, not perfection. We, we know we're not living it in perfection yet. We're moving towards being made perfect in Christ. But, but we're, none of us are there yet. We're still working along. But we should see highlights in people's lives say, that looks a lot like Jesus. Or what you said sounds a lot like what Jesus would say in that moment. Your, your temperament in that, the way you handled that difficult trial, that hardship, I just saw a picture of what Jesus would look like as he walks through that. That would be the highest compliment, wouldn't it? For any follower of Jesus, if somebody said, you know, I didn't just see you and that. I saw a reflection of what Scripture teaches or a reflection of what Jesus lived out in his life. And that's really, that's really what we're going for. That's really a picture of what discipleship looks like, is that people would see Jesus in us 
and, and they would see what it looks like in day-to-day life here in Western Colorado as we approach the year 2020, if you can believe that, now as we move into December. And, and so that's what we would desire for people to see. So the way we get there is recognizing that our life produces what we've sown into it. And so I'm just going to keep throwing this slide up here every, you know, every week and, and just as a reminder that out of our life, comes what we've sown into it. So it's hard to produce or replicate the life of Jesus if we haven't really sown into our life time with Jesus. Time in the Word. Time with His people. Time in, in Scripture. It's time in prayer. And, and just knowing who He is. So our life produces what we've sown into it. So I used to use this uh, illustration with, with my kids when they were much younger. I said, you know, your spiritual life is much like the, the, your nutritional life and the food that you put in. Yes, you can eat uh, cupcakes and, you know, cookies, and you can drink Mountain Dew. Can I get an amen? No? <laughs> uh, you, can, you can consume that. So, in fact, you can go a whole day and you can just eat that, but most of us know what happens after the end of that day, right? You just, oh. You just, you want it out of your system. It's too much. Your system can handle some sweets, can handle some sugar, can handle, you know, something that, that maybe you, you like to snack on. But if you make that your diet, if you make your diet just junk food and you just fill it with all kinds of sugars and fattening foods and, you know, we always say, mmm, bacon, you know. It's, can't be too much bacon. Yes, there can be. You just, if you just eat, keep eating bacon, you'll find out really what that does to your body and how, how your fat levels and cholesterol levels rise. But it's, so we know too much of something and especially too much of consuming this stuff doesn't help. So I used to relate that back to my kids and say, you know, you can listen to, to music that isn't worship music. You don't have to have a constant stream of worship music, but just know that that things aren't neutral. Things draw you closer towards God or things will draw you over time away from God. And so you can't just assume things have this neutral uh, appearance to them or it doesn't harm me or it doesn't affect me. Absolutely it affects you. Uh, I'm one who grew up prior to my walk with Christ. I grew up with, I, I loved uh, metal music, not the heavy, heavy metal, but, but stuff like Scorpions and ACDC and other stuff. And, and you know, there's a reason that they play a lot of that stuff at the start of ball games and things, right? To get people amped up, you know, get them, get them you know, really aggressive and, you know, cheering really loud. That's my cheer. It has an effect. It has an internal, it, it moves people a certain way. So, you know, what I communicated and what I was trying to help my kids to understand is that if you have a steady diet of something, it's going to show up in your life. That's what you're sowing into it. That's what you're going to reap out of it. It's a very simple idea, I know, but it's, it's true. There, are, there aren't things in life that are really just kind of neutral. They're moving us towards God or they're, over time they'll pull us away from God. And so we've got to look at our spiritual diet. What is it that I'm doing to sow into my life what's going to produce the life of Jesus out of it? Well, last week we kind of introduced this idea that one of the ways that Jesus showed us how he lived his life with the Father was with his daily rhythms and weekly rhythms of work and rest. 
and that he took time to actually rest. And, and I introduced this idea of the biblical directive for rest, that we looked at what rest looks like in light of Scripture, and we identified that rest is actually hardwired into the fabric of creation. Rest is hardwired into the whole fabric of creation. It's not just that, oh, we, we just kind of get tired and so then we need a break. No, God, God worked six days, it identifies in Genesis, and on the seventh he rested. He did all of his creative work and he, he then took rest and he said, it's good, and then he just delighted in it and he rested from his work. And you notice that when he created mankind, he created us prior to that rest. We were included in that rest that he, cre- that he initiated on the seventh day. It wasn't something he did, and then he said, now I'm going to do man, and you just work. All you do is work, and that's, no, that's in there. That's in the account of, of origins so that we know that we're included in that time of rest. How he creates galaxies, the earth, everything on the earth, mankind, and then this capstone event, God rests. Seems anticlimactic. I mean, really, we finish with six. Usually we said, wow, God did all this amazing creative work in six days, and then he rested. You know, and then he rested. You know, it's like the seventh day just kind of gets brushed aside. And he t- no, seventh day is the capstone of his creative work. He finishes in six days, he gets to the seventh day, and then it's like, and now we delight and we rest. Now we just take a deep breath and say, wow, it's magnificent. Look at what God has done. It's magnificent. We also looked at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, and uh, nestled in the commands of things we're not to do is this one. Number four says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the goal of us bringing this to the forefront of our thinking and our our understanding is to, to see how rest is really woven into God's instructions for our lives. To really see how that's part of what God has created for us to experience. It's not just the work. And especially when we think about evangelical Christianity, it's not just ministry. In fact, that was a, a common idea is that it was really a good thing. You were really successful for God if you could just burn yourself out for Jesus. You could just serve Him so hard and just give Him everything. Just completely empty your life out for Jesus meant that you were just active and working all the time, evangelizing and, and doing everything you could for Jesus so that you just had nothing left. And, and you just don't find that in Scripture. You just don't find that as a directive for God, that, that we're not supposed to burn ourselves out for Jesus. We're supposed to work six days. Work hard. Give it all you have. Work is unto the Lord. Like, it's His. You're doing it not for your employer. You're doing it for Jesus So you give all you have, but on that seventh day, you rest well. (laughs) Rest well, because that is part of your glorifying Jesus Christ. So, lest we think about work in terms, or rest in terms of an Old uh, Testament, a, a Hebrew Scriptures principle, you see it in the creation story, you see it in Exodus with the Ten Commandments, but but it's important for us not to put it in that category. Well, that was under law, and now we're under 
New Testament grace, and so this isn't something we have to worry about. <clears throat> let, me, let me point to a little booklet. I just want to read a little excerpt out of it. It's called Tyranny of the Urgent from Charles Hummel. And he says, listen, we can't admire the life of Jesus and want to be a disciple of Jesus unless we imitate the things that Jesus did. So if it's something that Jesus did and he found worth doing in order for his relationship with the Father to exist, Charles Hummel writes, we shouldn't just admire it, we should emulate it, we should copy it, we should do the same things that Jesus did. So he says this, uh, after describing that Jesus was always, he had so much happening, so much ministry, people pressing in uh, that wanted to see him. It says, yet Jesus' life was never feverish. He had time for people. He could spend hours talking with one person, such as the Samaritan woman at at the well in John 4. His life showed a wonderful balance, a sense of timing. On one occasion, his brothers urged him to go to Judea. Jesus replied, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. John 7, verse 6. In the discipline and culture of the spiritual life, A.E. Whiteman observes, Here in this man, Jesus, is adequate purpose. Inward rest that gives an air of leisure to his crowded life. Above all, there is in this man a secret and a power of dealing with the waste products of life, the waste of pain, disappointment, enmity, death, making a short life of about 30 years abruptly cut off to be a finished life. Hear this. We cannot admire the poise and beauty of his human life and then ignore the things that made it. We cannot admire the poise and beauty of his human life and then ignore the things that made it. So the encouragement in these words are Jesus never gives us the opportunity to look at his life and say, oh yeah, but he's the son of God. It doesn't apply to me. Or, oh yeah, well, he could do miracles and he was empowered by God. And so what he did, I could never do his life. I I can't expect to experience the same type of life. Jesus in his earthly ministry drew completely from his presence and his power that he received from the Father. None of it originated out of him. In fact, we find that out clearly in Philippians chapter 3. He says, listen, he did not take equality with God, something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself, he poured himself out of all of his deity in the sense of, yes, he was fully God, <clears throat> but he didn't take upon himself his intrinsic power to be used upon the earth. He didn't take upon himself intrinsic knowledge to be used. He modeled for us what it looks like to live completely holy, obedient, and submitted to the Father. Otherwise, he wouldn't have needed to draw time away and go pray. Otherwise, he wouldn't have needed to speak to the Father. He could have just done it all in himself. And all of, that we would have learned from that is that we're not like Jesus. Instead, what he did is he emptied himself of all of his divine power and authority. He humbled himself as a man, even as a man to die on the cross, but allowed himself to be in perfect relationship with the Father, So everything you see Jesus doing, that's why he said, greater things you will do. And he didn't have to hedge that. He didn't have to, you know, kind of say, you know, if you could be like me, then you'll do it. No, he said, you can do greater things. Why? Because he's just modeled for us time with the Father, being completely submitted to him and living out of that relationship. So it is 
that then we would look at the life of Jesus and we would recognize Jesus took time to rest. And Jesus validated, he didn't discredit or didn't push aside the need for a Sabbath day, a day, a 24-hour period where it was set aside for his worship and devotion to God and where he didn't do other work. So let's pray as we look at, I want us to look at Mark chapter 2 and uh, Jesus' interaction with some Pharisees around the Sabbath day and kind of how he treated that day, some things that he wanted to highlight out of that. So let's ask the Holy Spirit again just to be our teacher during this time. We do invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us uh, together, but also individually. Um, you have insight, Lord, to uh, things that we each hold dear in our heart and, and uh, ways that we were raised and understandings that we have about the way that life works. And um, we want to submit all of that to you since you know what's inside of us, and you know uh, how we can be more like Christ, we can be transformed more into the image of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you and even our thinking, and we ask you to help transform us and shape us and mold us more into the image of the Son, more into the life of our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the word that we have before us, And we pray you would illuminate different parts of it to help it speak to us individually. And then even more than that, Holy Spirit, that even as we read it, uh, pray that you would empower us to then live it out. Um, it's, It's not enough that we would read Scripture, but it would be so much more that you would empower us to live it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking at a portion of Scripture from Mark chapter 2, and it focuses on Jesus' interaction and thoughts around the Sabbath. And uh, it's just a reminder, Jesus kept the Sabbath, although he didn't keep it to the the Pharisees' liking. Uh, They had different ideas about it. So Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28, uh, either if you have it out on the app, we'll have it up on the screen here as well. It says, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you ever read what David did when he was in need need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abithar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now there's a couple of ways that people will look at this particular passage. Uh, One is the idea that Jesus had a low view of the Sabbath. Some people kind of look at that through that lens and say, well, see, Jesus really didn't hold this sense of the Sabbath had to be really obeyed or attended to. And uh, they would just say the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So Jesus was really minimizing its relevance for his followers. And so, you know, this idea that, uh, I believe a, a false, faulty idea, but this idea that Jesus, by minimizing it in that way, and that's what he was trying to do. And so then followers 
His disciples really didn't have to obey it, and they could hold a low view uh, of it as well. Here's, here's why I don't see this as a good interpretation of that particular passage. And uh, it's because of, with all Scripture, we, we read it in the context in which it sits. And so, we can't just pull that out and then say, well, he said that, you know, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, so that just means he doesn't really care that much about it. We have to put it in the context of the passage above it and also the one that, that follows after it. You know, in the previous passage, um, in chapter 2, he is challenged, again, by the Pharisees as why his disciples aren't fasting. Um, they, they approach Jesus, the Pharisees approach Jesus, and they say, listen, John's disciple, John the Baptist, his disciples are fasting, and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting. Why aren't your disciples fasting? And Jesus gives them this picture, and he talks about wineskins. He says it's not appropriate to put uh, a new, uh, uh, old patch of, of wineskin on a, on a new wineskin because it's going to stretch and it's going it's to break it. It's not going to hold it on there. And really what he's talking about is it's not appropriate. It's not the right fit. It doesn't match. You put, you know, a new wineskin on a new wineskin. You put the new patch so that they can grow together. And so it's appropriate. He's saying, my disciples, they're not fasting because they're with me. They're not mourning. They're not weeping. They're not waiting for something to come. They've found me. They've found uh, the, the one that they've longed for. I am the Messiah, essentially. And so it's not right that they fast now in, in waiting in the sense of longing for me. I'm here. He doesn't say it in all those words, but he's, he's giving this picture of it, it wouldn't be appropriate for them. There'll come a time, he says, there'll come a time when they'll fast and they'll long for me to return. They'll, they'll, you know, again, we know this parenthetically based on other scriptures that we've seen, but so he's addressing that the Pharisees are highlighting, your disciples don't fast. They're not religious enough. They're, they're not doing appropriate religious things. And so they fall short of the mark of being pious. They, they fall short of the mark of somebody who would, you know, discipline themselves and really seek God. And so the Pharisees are calling out Jesus saying, basically, your disciples are weak. They're, they're low bar. They, they can't even, they're not even fasting. They're not doing basic spiritual disciplines. And so then we read the passage here about the Sabbath and they're plucking heads of grain and then they're called out on another, on another Sabbath day, it says, they're called out for that where he says, why are you guys doing what's not lawful? You're working. You're plucking heads of grain. You're doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus kind of a, comes back at them and says, they're, they're in need of some food. They're just they're eating some grains of uh, some heads of grain. This isn't labor. It's like he's he's calling them out for kind of making it a job. On the tail end of this passage, if you follow up right after the one that we read earlier, Mark chapter three verses one through six, Jesus is then challenged about healing and doing good on the Sabbath. He asks this questions of those who are accusing him because he wants to heal somebody, and they're. They're watching him. He asks this question. He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save a life or to kill? But then they don't respond to him. They're silent because they, they don't want to give an answer. They just want to accuse him of doing inappropriate things on the Sabbath day, of not keeping a Sabbath. So here's why I don't really think 
we can view this as that Jesus had a low bar for a disregard for the Sabbath day, is that if we look at the statement, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, we notice this wedge between these other interactions where the Pharisees are complaining about not keeping all the regulations, not being pious enough, not, not showing their devotion to God by keeping the Sabbath holy. Now, now, for them, keeping the Sabbath holy meant you did absolutely nothing. There was heavy regulation around what you could touch, what you could do, what type of activities were involved, all kinds of laws around the Sabbath day, which essentially made it a burden. It made it just drudgery. The Sabbath would begin, and by then you had to have everything together because if you forgot something, you weren't going to be able to go back and get it or take care of it. If you didn't have your food prepared, you couldn't then prepare any food because that would be working on the Sabbath. You, you couldn't, you know, even Jesus is pointing out, you can't even help somebody on the Sabbath because there were, there were regulations forbid that you would even heal on the Sabbath day. And Jesus is just saying, this is, this is ridiculous. You've missed the whole blessing of the day. He's, he's saying, you don't even see what you've turned this day into. You've turned it into something that people probably hate, something that people don't look forward to, but they, they can't wait till it's over because it's such an obligation to have to go through all the piety and the regulation that the Pharisees had set up. So this is really, I, I don't think you can say that Jesus had a low view of Sabbath. In fact, he wanted to really change the experience for the people and especially his disciples. He wanted to make it what it was intended to be, which is a delight. <laughs> Instead of it being this heavy weight upon them, he, he wanted to, to make it a delight. He simply, if Jesus didn't have a good view of taking a 24-hour period of rest and just resting with the Father, he simply could have totally done away, could have stayed away from the synagogue and not participated in the Sabbath. I mean, he actually could have taught it outright to his disciples, you don't need to obey this because that's under law. But he, he didn't. He actually was regularly at the synagogue at the time when Sabbath occurred, and he also took time to, to rest. So I highlight that just because I, I want us to see that Jesus, if we're going to look at his life and see and admire it, as we talked about early, earlier, and I read that portion from uh, Charles Hummel, The Tyranny of the Urgent, where he says, listen, we can't just admire his life and say, isn't that awesome, the way Jesus lived? And then kind of wipe our hands of it and say, well, but I can't do that or I don't know what it takes. We, we do know what it takes because he lived it out for us. We can see it and we can emulate and we can follow his example. Jesus didn't have a low view in the Sabbath. Jesus regularly took times for rest. In fact, you know that's one of the reasons that Judas knew where to find Jesus so he could betray him is that Jesus took regular times to withdraw from crowds, to be with the Father and to rest, and to be away with his disciples from the crowds where ministry was taking place. That's how Judas knew where to find him. John 18, verses 1 through 2, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, that was after the, the Last Supper, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden. There was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. 
So when Judas is thinking of how am I going to betray Jesus in his final days and he's going to give that sign, he knows where to find him. He's going to be with the disciples, withdrawn at a point of rest so he can be with the Father, pulled back away from the crowds. (laughs) Judas says, I know where I'm going to find him. He's going to to be there, uh, pulled away. It's just interesting to me that Jesus often did this. He pulled away from the crowds where he could meet with his disciples, where he could be alone with the Father, where he could spend time in solitude and quietness and prayer so he could listen to the Father. Let me just ask uh, this, this question of you. Do you have times like that? So important this holiday season as we think about the, the engine that is uh, our culture and around the holidays, how it gets revved up and things start happening. I was at uh, Home Depot on uh, Friday morning. I was picking up, uh, uh, I know. You're saying, wait a minute, we caught you, Pastor. I was picking up uh, some insulation and, uh, and it was actually pretty, you know, Pretty low key is right around 8.30, stopped into Home Depot. And uh, the aisles, of course, they fill the aisles with more merchandise because you can't get it all on the shelves. And so went in and got what I needed. And then I needed to stop back, back by about four hours later uh, because I, was, uh, I needed one more uh, piece of insulation. And it was chaos. <laughs> it was, you know, walking sideways through aisles and kind of waiting for the cart to come through because you couldn't get another body in there. And uh, I was just thinking, wow, like it would be so easy to get really caught into this and just the, the tension and, the, and not enjoy this at, at all. And, and uh, you know, Black Friday shopping can be a lot of fun. I know people who love to go out, find the deals, and, and do that. So it, trust me, this is not a sermon about anti-Black Friday shopping. Anti, uh, what, it, what it is is don't allow yourself to get caught up in all of that, even if you don't do the shopping, but just all the things that need to happen. Oftentimes, people take time away from work, and what that does is they just condense their same schedule, and they shove it all into the same, in a shorter number of weeks than actually taking rest, and they just try and get more done, and we knock out time of rest prior to because we know we're going to have some vacation time, so we stop resting for two or three weeks prior. Listen, let me encourage you, don't, don't get caught up in it. Don't allow that to, to be the way in which you direct your life, but slow down enough to really take the time to be at rest with God. So we'll, we'll look. Uh, I'm going to finish up here in just a moment because we're going to receive communion together, but we'll look at what a good day of rest would look like. There's some elements that I really want to encourage you to, to consider, to contemplate in your own life of what, what would I do? Do I, do I just, you know... Should I just get a book or should I watch TV or, you know, should I just kind of come by the church and hang out here all day or what does that, what does that look like? No, there's, there's some things that you can do that really would just make it really fits in line with what Jesus understood about a Sabbath and what God taught us what we should do with a day, not just a day off. Oftentimes our day off, we just do housework instead of other work. And so it's different. It's a day to cease. That's Sabbath, to stop, to cease from our work so that we could delight in God's work. But let me just highlight these two, two points. Um, one is that rest and worship is a gift. If it feels like an obligation, ask yourself, what or who is making it that way? So I, 
you know, I'm so thankful that you're here. It's so beautiful to be able to come together to worship and just enjoy this time. But, but if you're here and it feels like an obligation, it feels like you're just doing it for somebody else. You feel like you're here because you have to be. I want to encourage you, ask that question, you know, why does it feel that way? Who's, who's making it feel that way? It's easy to say, well, it's because he wants me to come or she, she's told me I have to or whatever it might be. But, but listen, there's, there's oftentimes just within ourself this sense of I have to come. I have to be there. So I don't want to be at church this Sunday, but I, I, have, to, I have to be there. I have a perfect attendance record. I barely got that out before I started smiling. <laughs> if you have a perfect attendance record, thank you. You're doing a great job. You have a better attendance record than I do. I've missed a few Sundays. Uh, your parents raise you to be in church every Sunday. The sense of, I've got to. That's, the way, that's just the way I was raised, is you're in church every Sunday. I mean, that's, that's a good habit. It's a good thing to, you know, for a parent to teach a child that it's the value of, of coming. But if... You're in your 30s, and that's why you're showing up at church still, is because your parents raised you that way. Maybe going a different direction with it and saying, God, do I actually enjoy being here? Do I enjoy making worship part of my Sabbath day, my, my rest, my, my time to be with you? Here's another kind of bent on this. Maybe you feel like you have better things to do, but you've come because you feel like you need to. And so this idea of rest and worship being a gift, it feels more of an obligation is because you keep checking your watch and thinking, I, I got stuff I got to get finished. I got things I've, I've got to get done. I've, I've got other work to do. And so it's just really hard being here because it feels more like an obligation than a delight, than an opportunity to worship. So maybe take time this coming week and just saying, what is my Sabbath day? Is it something I enjoy and I look forward to? But does it feel like a a weight, a burden. Because Jesus was really careful about that with the religious leaders. He said, don't, don't put obligations on people. Don't make my Sabbath, don't make the rest of God something that people despise. But the rest of God should be something that we look forward to. So if it doesn't feel like something you look forward to, just do some introspection. Why? Why do I not enjoy it? Why do, why do I feel like it's more of an obligation? So, some of you may, may have that sense about you. Another one is just to, to kind of help you enter into rest, and this maybe would be a help for those who feel like it's an obligation, is we enter into rest and worship by embracing it and not waiting for it to pass. And all I mean by that is that when, when we feel like we have more things that we have to do and other places we have to be, or if it's just an obligation, we really want to just check the box and get out of it so that we can get to the next the next thing. I think I've communicated before how uh, vacations were really difficult for me early on in my marriage with my wife, Jerry, because um, I was a destination kind of guy, not the journey kind of guy. <laughs> and so getting there was the goal. And so I had this great capacity, and by great, I mean terrible, ability to raise the tension in the room every time we were getting ready to head out the door. Because I knew that it took three and a half hours to get from here to there, and then I wanted to check in by a certain amount of time, and if we were going to meet that deadline, we had to get out at this certain hour. And so 
we'd begin the countdown. 15 minutes, 15 minutes, car's leaving, 15 minutes. Get it packed, you know, we're just like rushing. Here we are, six in the morning, everybody's clearing, you know, the, the sleep out of their eyes. I mean, they're just trying to get moving. But here, here I am just like, we got to get, get up, let's go, let's move, you know, more time, you know, and it's just like the tension in the room and the house just, you could just feel it between, mostly between Jerry and I, the kids were still waking up, but Jerry and I, just like this, this sense of, of rushing. You, you want to know what broke it for me was one year uh, we had uh, a drive coming from Kansas City to Grand Junction, and I've got this, you know, rush that I've got going on because it's a long drive and uh, 14 hours, 13 if you're Mark Harris. And, uh, <laughs> and I live on 77th Street. Our house is on 77th Street. You drive north. And so I get two blocks up 75th Street and we come to us. It's a stoplight and I'm putting on the brakes and the cup of coffee that was between my laps just spills right over empties the whole thing onto the floorboards, part of it on my pants, and I'm two blocks from home. And I'm just like, this is not going to go well. I'm just, this is, this is not good. So then we just pull into the gas station that's just down the way. I've got sopping it up. So 10, 15 minutes more onto the trip now, right? And so I throw that away, and then we get in the car, and we get partway across Kansas, and then the car starts kind of this lugging out in the middle of nowhere. Pull off, and uh, it's hot. Uh, it was actually uh, a summer, um, one of our summer drives, and the car just it just stops, and I'm thinking, we're nowhere. I mean, we're middle of nowhere, and so we're just sitting and just waiting and waiting, and I'm just hoping the car starts. It's, that's all I can do. It's like, yes, I prayed, just for those of you. <laughs> I saw some of those looks, like, you prayed, right? You're a pastor. And, and we waited probably 30 minutes, then the car starts. So then we just keep, keep driving. I'm thinking, we're missing these. We're missing the, the points that we're supposed to be hitting. Uh, we get in late to Denver. The car's still kind of lugging. Uh, I'm not really sure what, what the deal is, but we're a little bit later. So I put in gas, and like I thought maybe there's water in the tank or something, so I put in an additive, and it seemed like it was... Seemed like it was okay, so we head up the mountain, but it's, um, you know, we're a little bit late getting up there, and it was close. The pass, uh, before we even got to, uh, maybe we got past Idaho Springs, I think we did, but it, it was, I-70 was closed. Cars, they're deterring traffic all the way off and around, and they said, well, you can go up, all the way up Steamboat, and back around, or you go south, but it's already evening, and I'm thinking, I can't, I can't do that. And uh, so we turn around, we go back to Denver along with all the other cars that were on I-70. We start pulling in all the hotels on the west side of Denver, of course, are already filled up. So the more I'm in a hurry now because I'm agitated, the more I keep doing this, my son in the back starts getting sick, and then all of a sudden we hear, you know. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, so one of the hotel's dumpsters got a pillow added to it. And so the only place we could find was the Sheraton at 130 a night. Um, and so we stayed there and then went on. Do you know what that did for me? Long story. You know what that did? It, however, however God used it, it broke me. It broke that sense of 
we're going to get out, we're going to do this, we're going to get going, da 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 And it's just like, relax, okay? <laughs> you don't know what's coming. <laughs> you, don't know what's gonna, you don't know what's going on. And you're just making it miserable for your spouse and everybody else in the car. It's like, you're on vacation, right? You're resting, right? <laughs> relax. Go easy. You know, it, it sounds silly, but just things like that can, can be used to kind of break that stuff in you, that, that driving that makes a day or an experience not a delight, but all of a sudden it's, it's impeding on what you really want. We enter into rest and worship by embracing it and not waiting for it to pass. Listen, you don't, you don't go to a place like Disneyland to get to the front of the line you go to Disneyland to enjoy the rides. You don't come to worship and Sabbath so that we can be past it and move on to the rest. We, we embrace it and we just kind of sit in the moment. We just say, I don't have anything to do, God, but just worship. Just to be here and pray. God, I don't have another thing on my agenda that's more important than me just having time with you right now. There's, there's not something that's so important that has to be done today that if it's not done today, that my world will implode and just collapse. Lord, I can just be with you today. I can be with people that I love and just spend time with them and not have agendas and things that have to get accomplished. Embrace the day of rest. Instead of, like I have done so many times, just fighting against it and just wanting it to get passed and making it an obligation that has to be fulfilled, and Jesus would just say, Sabbath was meant for you. It was made for you. You weren't made to fulfill it and to be obligated to it. It was made for you. So I want to encourage you as much as I encourage myself. Just embrace it. Take hold of it and enjoy it. Be with the people that you love. Delight in God's creative work. Enjoy a meal without the rush of having to get through it, but just enjoying it, being around the table. Spend time just in, in worship, listening to some worship music this afternoon. Open up your Bible again, not because you're obligated to, but just to read a psalm and read another song to God about your love for Him. Read the words of Jesus just to know him more and just spend time with him today.